Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Planning our lives according to the ever-changing guidance around COVID-19 is like trying to shoot a moving target. It's hard. And trying to get a sense of when or how we'll return to our regular habits is even tougher. So what do we know about what lies on the horizon for the coming year? Donald G. McNeil Jr. is the science and health reporter for The New York Times. He's been covering pandemics and pestilence for more than 20 years. His latest piece is called The Coronavirus in America, The Year Ahead. Donald, welcome to Reset. Thank you very much for inviting me. So yesterday we learned that the U.S. has exceeded one million confirmed cases of COVID-19. You've been covering the infectious disease beat for some time. Can you put that number into context for us? I actually don't pay any attention to the to the numbers of cases because it's all dependent on testing. And we, we know from all over the world that tested figures and, and real figures have nothing to do uh, with, with reality. I pay attention to the deaths, you know, and I, I've heard things like people saying, you know, there were far more cases in China than we know. There were three million cases. And I said, no, if there were three million cases, there'd be. Um, 150,000 bodies to dispose of. And you can't get rid of that many bodies without digging mass graves so big that we could see them with our spy satellites. So don't give me this. More important to me is that we're about to hit 60,000 cases, which recently the White House said we wouldn't hit until August 4th. And now even their model says we're going to hit probably 75,000 cases by August 4th. And what worries me is if we do this coming out of um, coming out of lockdown badly, we're going to be back on track to the to the 1.6 million to 2.2 million deaths that were projected by the models. So, you know, deaths don't give you false positive. Corpses are either alive or dead. So that's the thing I count. And it's scary. The situation we're in is very scary. As if we do this in a clumsy way, if it's if, if we come out of lockdown based on politics or lawsuits or something like that, people are going to die. And we need to pay attention to that. When you look at where we are right now, are you surprised we're in this place when you think about public health in the U.S. and past administrations? Where we are is a disaster. I mean, we haven't been in such a bad position since the War of 1812 when the British burned the White House. I mean, we're basically trapped in the situation where we're going to come out, but people are going to die. So we're going to have to go back in. And our economy is shut down. Basically, China is now the world's only functioning economic superpower. And thank God we have missiles because they can't do anything crazy. And I hope we get to a vaccine, you know, about the same time as they get to a vaccine, because if they can vaccinate their army and their people first, we're in a really awkward situation. And Donald Trump absolutely refuses to admit to the role that he had in getting us into the situation. And the crucial failure was to not take this seriously, not pay attention early and not get ready. And I noticed when you introduced your show that you said it's been two months since the WHO declared a pandemic. That's actually not the important thing. All this blame on the WHO is misplaced because I've been covering the WHO for 20 years. On January 30th, they declared a public health emergency of international concern. For them, pandemic is only a semantic thing. But the really important thing is they said, hey, this is an, this is an emergency and it's an international emergency and countries have to do something. And Poor Tedros was saying that every single day at press conferences, and I was sitting in on his press conferences by phone and listening to him say, we have an opportunity, a world, a window of opportunity here, but that window is rapidly closing, and no one would listen, and no one would listen. And, and I had a hard time getting my own bosses to listen. But So, so we, what, what was at the yeah. heart of that disconnect? 
Donald Trump wanted the, uh, you know, didn't want any bad news from the stock market. I mean, as far as I was concerned, that was kind of like it being, you know, December 1st, 1941. And somebody said, boy, there's an awful lot of submarine activity out there in the Pacific. And, and the FDR said, keep quiet about that. It's going to hurt the stock market. Pay no attention to what's going on in the Pacific. You know, December 7th comes along and you find out that there was really a big problem out there. And if you ignore it, it was not going to go away. And one way or another, the stock market was going to get crashed anyhow. And we just ignored it. I wonder if there's something, a broader conversation to be had about the public's trust in science. We know scientists are learning about this virus in real time, learning about how it spreads and and the guidance keeps changing. Is that part of what's at work here, too, is that people can't really, you know, they're they're trying to keep up with what we're learning uh, in in the moment? Absolutely. Look, if something good comes out of this pandemic, when it's all over, I mean, I actually have optimistic thoughts for what the country is going to be like two or three years from now when we have mm-hmm. a vaccine and we're out of it. I'm, I'm hoping that there's a whole new attitude in this country, a, a new attitude towards equality and looking out for each other and sort of, you know, not letting the powerful, and the rich corporate lobbyists have their way with everything. I'm hoping that we'll go back to the sort of life we had back after World War One and World War Two, and we created the League of Nations and the United Nations and incomes were more equal and we had a GI bill and we had veterans mortgages and things like that. But more than that, one of the things I hope for is that there will be renewed respect for science. I, I mean, one thing I hope happens is that, the, is that the anti-vaccine movement just dries up and goes away because people will say, say, oh my God, I'm so desperate for a vaccine that will say, people will finally take diseases seriously, which our grandparents did. Our grandparents and great grandparents had five, six, seven kids because they knew if you only had two kids, which we do in America today, you might have no kids by the time you got to your old age. And in the age before Social Security, that was a really dangerous thing. There was no one to take care of you in your old age. You know, we used to have epidemics every 20 years in New York. There'd be cholera. There'd be diphtheria. There'd be uh, yellow fever. There'd be, uh, you know, tuberculosis in the milk. And it was things like clean water and, and pasteurization of milk and, and ultimately vaccines that changed all that. And we've forgotten how many lives that saved and we've become disdainful of scientists and frankly disdainful of science writers and it's been galling to me for the last 20 years and now scientists are saying hey look we weren't kidding this stuff is really dangerous you should have paid more attention to this than you did to missiles or even terrorism because you know if you if you want to fight with russia over missiles you can sit down at a negotiating table and negotiate with russia you cannot sit down with a virus and negotiate it that virus wants to eat you and it's not going to stop wanting to eat you until you found a vaccine against it. Well, in your last piece, The Coronavirus in America, The Year Ahead, you interviewed dozens of the world's leading health experts on the virus. What, if anything, do we know about when we may return to some semblance, and I'm using quotes here, of normalcy? We don't know. I can't say, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, I can tell you there is no way that we are all going to be back in restaurants and that the football stadiums are going to be full in the fall and we're going to watch the Bears play play the Packers. The Bears might play the Packers, on TV after everybody's had a test and, and the immune ones, maybe it'll be the immunes versus the susceptible, something like that, but there'll be nobody in the stadiums because if we did, it would just turn into a viral inferno and you'd have, you know, thousands of people infected and, and in the hospitals and you'd have in Chicago, well, you've already had it and we'd, you know, we'd have wave two, wave three. Instead, it's going to be kind of a, until we have a vaccine or until we have some sort of prophylactic pill that you could take, like you take PrEP to prevent HIV, we're going to be kind of dancing out and trying to get the economy going again. But as soon as enough people, as the hospitals start filling up again, 
we're going to have to go back into lockdown or, or a modified lockdown. So we're going to have to think about what are the most important things? Do we want factories to work with skeleton crews and lots of, uh, you know, we definitely want the food processing plants to work. We probably don't need tattoo parlors to work. We may have to be cutting our own hair for a while now. You, you have to pick which things you want. We really want the schools to open, but we still have to figure out how much kids, even though kids don't get very sick and don't die, almost never, we, we're not sure how much they bring the disease back to their parents and grandparents. And we know they bring flu back to them. So if they bring COVID back to them, you know, mom and dad may be okay, but grandma may not be okay if she lives in the house. So there's a lot of very tough decisions we're going to have to make as we learn more science and we learn more every week. The president seems hopeful that we can reopen the economy soon. Uh, we the, see president states... is del- the president is delusional. Well, okay. I want you to, to outline because <laughs> but, but here's what we're, be, but here's what we're seeing, though. Who said we should drink bleach. We're, we're um, seeing some bleach. states like Texas and Florida and Georgia already beginning that process. When you talk to health experts, what are they saying, not just about the decision to reopen economies in the states, but what it means for a national recovery, considering the fact that the virus can travel across borders? Yes, the virus can travel across borders. The virus can travel from one state to another. In New York, we're talking about opening up the center of the state, you know, the, the towns that nobody pays much attention to, Schenectady and Utica and, and uh, others. <laughs> I'm not a good example of the central part of the state. Um you know, because it, there it's kind of like the Midwest and the West, where there's relatively few cases. But we know we can't open New York City again anytime soon. We can't open Buffalo either because they were hit hard. In China, you could not open a city until they had 14 days in a row of zero cases. And they had an unbelievably tight lockdown in China where nobody left their homes. There was no going out for a walk on, on the Navy Pier or something like that. There was, you know, you stayed in your home and, and you were fed kind of whatever food people could get to you or unless you could order it yourself. Um, you know, and, and that's how they got down to zero cases. And then they began to open up and then really, really carefully, not all businesses I and mean, constant temperature checks and, and your app on your phone would show whether or not you'd been in a place that they considered uh, dangerous where you were exposed. So that even China is opening up extremely carefully. We're not there yet. And, and I mean, we're not even thinking of getting down to zero cases. The, the standard from the White House is get down to 14 days of declining cases. If Texas opens up, if Georgia opens up, there's not going to be phase two in the fall. There's going to be phase two for them in two or three weeks. I mean, everything's going to look good for two or three weeks. And I'll be watching the Kinzo weather app to see if temperatures are beginning to spike there. And everybody else will be watching the, um, the positive test rate. And if it starts to go up, you just know that Two weeks after that or a week after that, your hospital admissions are going to start up. And then another two weeks after that, your people are going to start going into the ICU. And a week after that, they're going to start dying. And if they don't pay attention, and this, all the experts I talk to say, people have to pay attention. You know, there's an expression in the, in, the, in the Army in the old days. You know, sometimes to get the attention of a mule, you have to use a two-by-four. And the two-by-four in this case is the deaths of their own citizens. And it's, a, it's not something they should be gambling with. I'm worried that in New York, I've noticed that hospital hospitalizations have now gone flat. And I've noticed that the sirens I can out, hear from outside the window have picked up again after dropping off to, you know, less than one an hour. You know, a few days ago, they're now picking up to two or three an hour. And that just means to me more people are going to hospitals. And I'm that worries me. Donald, what have you learned about what we can do to keep the virus at least stabilized at this point? And in, in other words, tr- not increasing the number of cases. Um, you have to. Just 
slow down transmission, which means since we don't have any other way to do it, since we don't have any, any drug or vaccine, it means people have to keep away from each other. Even the way we're in this, quote, lockdown is not effective. We have 30,000 new cases a day. China has on the order of eight new cases a day, and they're, they're, in, uh, you know, they're mostly in travelers coming back from Russia. A lot of other countries are down you know, below 100 cases a day. 30,000 new cases a day means the virus is actually totally out of control here because you can't trace the contacts of 30,000 people. If every person has about 45 contacts, which is about the average, that's 1.3 million contacts a day you have to trace. If people go out again and the numbers begin to increase, the danger is that the fatality rate for this virus is about 1%. If everything goes well, if you can get people into hospitals, and you can put them on ventilators. But the minute your hospitals go down and it takes somebody, you know, an hour for an ambulance to reach them instead of eight minutes, people die of heart attacks. People die of asthma attacks. People die of strokes who would have lived at other times. If people come into your hospitals and there's no ventilator for them, the doctor has to shrug and say, I'm sorry, I, I can't take somebody else off a ventilator. Or they do take, you know, an elderly guy like me or soon to be elderly guy like me off the ventilator and yet let a young woman with two kids live. And, you know, that's the right decision to make morally, but it's tough on me and my family. And that's what we're going to face if we come out of lockdown too fast. Have we sufficiently tapped nations like China, who've been able to nip the crisis in the bud, as you've described, in a way that seems more effective than where we are in the U.S. at this moment? No, we're completely ignoring what China did. I mean, I've been writing articles since late February about how China did it, and nobody's paid any attention. It's 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 sad. And 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 from the White House, we've been insulting China every day, calling it the Chinese virus, and failing to acknowledge that Project Airbridge is really lend lease from China, that they're flying us millions of masks, and and uh, Elon Musk is buying ventilators from China, and Robert Kraft is sending planes to China to pick up stuff. I mean, the Chinese are helping this, but if we keep insulting them, and by we, I mean the president, they not may not want to help us as much as they have. They may, you know get tough. And, you know, we're also issuing literally trillions of dollars worth of debt to pay people's salaries during this crisis. A lot of that debt is bought by China. If they stop buying our debt, the dollar drops, you know, and, and suddenly the loans become much more expensive to uh, to pay back and taxes have to go up to, to pay for that. I mean, nobody's able to pay taxes now, but we will have to pay that much more taxes in the future in order to pay back those loans. It's not a good time to be insulting other countries. We should be back the way you used to be. We should be the country that was not only doing the best job in the world at public health, but also helping poor countries. Instead, we're ignoring the best model there is, and we are basically on our knees asking for help from that country. We only have Terrible about a minute situation. left. Okay. Um, and, and before we, we wrap up, I, I want to hear about where we are on a vaccine. There's a lot of faith being placed and a vaccine, and hopefully a vaccine coming sooner rather than later. Right now, we're hearing estimates estimates of around 12 to 18 months. What did you learn from the health experts you spoke to? All the scientists say 12 to 18 months is very optimistic, that the record for producing a vaccine in the United States or anyplace else is the mumps vaccine, which took us four years. We're very good at, at making vaccine candidates through through work in the lab. The problem is you can't speed up the human immune system. You have to do a certain amount of testing. There are ways to kind of squeeze the testing down a little bit. But then we have to figure out a way to make 300 million doses to 600 million doses if you need two shots. A typical vaccine plant makes 5 to 10 million doses because there's like 4 million babies born in this country each year and 4 million people reach age 65. So we got to figure out how we're going to make 300 million doses of vaccine. 
And that's going to be a real struggle because we're not going to get the vaccine out until we've made that many doses. We've got to figure out where we're going to get 300 million to 600 million syringes. You know, we normally buy those from China. Let's hope they want to sell them to us or we're going to have to make syringe factories. There are a lot of roadblocks people don't think about when, when we say the optimistic thing of 12 to 18 months. That's Donald G. McNeil, Jr., veteran science and health reporter for The New York Times. His latest piece, The Coronavirus in America, The Year Ahead, draws on his in-depth interviews with the world's leading health experts about what comes next with COVID-19. Donald, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. I'm sorry I'm depressing, but this is, this is reality. And that's today's Reset. I'm Jen White. It is going to dry out eventually, so hang in there. Take care of yourself and your loved ones. And let's talk again soon.